We know that you're used to hitting Walters before and after Nationals games, but don't forget about them while the Nats are out of town. Walters Brunch is a great reason to swing by Navy Yard with the purchase of an entree. You can now add bottomless Bud Light, Truly, Bloody Marys, and Mimosas for only $20. Reservations can be made at opentable.com. The Nats are on the road right now, but you can watch every game at Walters. You might even see them score run before the weekend is up while enjoying a drink, something to eat. No better place to watch the Nats win or lose than Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One ball, two strikes. DeGrom working at a good tempo. Here's the pitch. Strike three called. Slider to the inside corner at the knees. And there it is. 15th strikeout. A new career high for Jacob DeGrom. He has fanned six Nationals in a row. You know, I've been in this league a long time. That's one of the better ones I've I've seen. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, April 24th, 2021, along with Nats Insider, Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. Well, there are some times when a guy is so good that his name becomes a verb. And on Friday night, the name became a verb when it came to Jacob deGrom because the Nationals got degromed a 6-0 loss at the New York Mets in Game 1 of a three-game series. The extent to which deGrom, the best pitcher on the planet right now, was dominant cannot be overstated. We've become accustomed to outings like these from, of course, Max Scherzer in recent years, but that was something special what Jacob deGrom put forth on Friday night, Mark. I was trying to think back to great games that I've seen pitched over the years. And certainly the Nats, you know, have had their share of them. They've had no hitters. They've had 20 strikeout games and Steven Strasburg's debut. But I mean, other than that peak Max Scherzer 2015, when it seemed like he could throw a no hitter anytime he took the mound, this is about as good as I've ever seen anyone. From the beginning, you could just tell he was overwhelming. And there were very few batters that stepped up in this game where I thought to myself, he's got a good chance to get a hit tonight. It was that good. It didn't look like Major League Baseball. It looked like an SEC ace facing some team from the MAC, peak high school. I mean, it just, I don't want to sound hyperbolic a lot about it, but he was that good. And it's not like this is the first time he's ever done it. This is who he is right now. He is far and away the best pitcher on the planet. It was a humbling. The Nationals looked totally and completely feeble. Like you said, DeGrom's been doing this to a lot of people, but, you know, especially in that lineup, Sans Juan Soto, this was not pretty. This was amateur hour in a lot of ways. The numbers really are jaw-dropping from DeGrom on Friday night. It ends up being a two-hit shutout. He has 15 strikeouts versus no walks. He throws 109 pitches 
84 of which are strikes. 84 out of the 109 pitches end up being for strikes. Oh, by the way, he had two hits on Friday night. He's a very good hitting pitcher. He had two more hits on Friday night, including a one-out RBI double in the Mets' three-run fifth inning. And he ends up setting the record for most strikeouts by a pitcher over his first four appearances in a season in the modern era, which is since the start of the 1900 season. Okay, so we're going back to dead ball times. 50 strikeouts for DeGrom over his first four appearances. I mean, I think it's interesting, Mark, when we talk about like who is the best pitcher, because for so many years, it was Clayton Kershaw. Then I think it did become Max Scherzer for a few years. And now I think the last two years, you know, maybe three years, depending on how you want to look at things, it is DeGrom. Like he is the world's number one. And that's what we saw. That was DeGrom at his best in this game on Friday night. Yeah, I don't think there's much debate over this one anymore. And I know that's hard for Nats fans to hear who want to believe that that Scherzer stands alongside him. And look, Max has been great this year and let's see how it all plays out. You know, we're only three weeks into the season. But what he is doing right now is the kind of stuff you just don't see. And it's the numbers are one thing, but it, it's the way he looks when you're watching him pitch. You threw out the 109 pitches, 84 strikes. Well, here's another one. Of the 109 pitches, 107 of them were 90 miles an hour or harder. He only threw two pitches that didn't reach 90. That was a slider to Starlin Castro in the eighth and a slider to Yadiel Hernandez in the ninth. For seven innings, he did not throw a pitch less than 90 miles an hour. That's fastball, slider, and changeup. I don't know that we've ever seen anything like that from a starter who could sustain that through an entire outing. Steven Strasburg at his very best was not doing that. He always had the slower curveball. A truly remarkable thing in this day and age to have that kind of velocity and command with it that deep into a start up over the 100 pitch mark. That to me is the one that stood out among all else. I'm glad you brought up the velocity because DeGrom is such a fascinating case study. So he is an older pitcher already. He hasn't been around that long but he got started late at the major league level. So this season is actually DeGrom's age 33 season. His rookie season of 2014 was his age 26 season. For those who know the DeGrom story, he was a shortstop at Stetson University for his uh, freshman and sophomore seasons. But here is what is especially interesting about DeGrom. His velocity has skyrocketed over the years. Again, he's an older pitcher, but his velocity has shot up. If you go by the data on Sports Info Solutions, his average forcing fastball velocity in that 2014 rookie season was 94.5 miles per hour. That's already quite good. Last season, DeGrom's average forcing fastball velocity, 98.7 miles per hour. Coming into this game on Friday night, the average forcing velo, again, 98.7 miles per hour for this season. How is it that a guy who starts in his mid-20s is already well into his 30s is throwing four plus miles per hour faster now as compared to years ago. I mean, let's be honest. If, if this was like 15 years ago, we'd be saying, is DeGrom on PEDs? Like, how, how is this guy doing what he's doing? It's incredible how he has just boosted the velocity like that. I was just going to say the same thing. If this is uh, 2000 to 2005 in that period, you're absolutely questioning the legitimacy of it. And, you know, you, you never say never in this sport. You never know what is going on that you don't know about. But he has perfected this. And there are a lot of places you can go where they're now helping you with your biomechanics and things to increase velocity. This is a velocity sport right now. And everybody's trying to find ways to squeeze every last mile per hour they can from it. And he has done that as well as anybody I've ever seen. Again, we're not talking about Araldus Chapman throwing 104 just in the ninth inning. This is sustaining it for the entire start. He came out of the chute 
on Friday night, and his first seven pitches, all fastballs, were 100 or 101 miles an hour. First seven pitches of the game. And I mean, by the end, he maybe lost one or two miles an hour off it, but he averaged 99.2 for the game. He did not throw a fastball less than 97.1. I'm actually someone who I think velocity can be overrated. And I think we sometimes put too much stock in it because it's still about location. It's still about deception and movement and being able to change speeds. But when you have someone who can do this at that level and maintain it for a whole game. And like I said, his slider is 91 to 93 and his changeup is 91, 92. When you can throw everything like that, it just puts you on another planet. And I'm not sure that as a hitter, there's a whole lot you can do. I mean, we only talked to Kyle Schwarber among the hitters after this game, but you can kind of sense from him and, and I'm sure the others are feeling the same way. It's just a helpless feeling. You can have strategies and approaches, but I just don't know there was anything they were going to do on this night. Their best hope was to somehow drive the pitch count up and get him out of the game early. And they just didn't have that in him because he wasn't throwing balls. You said 84 out of 109. Now, he was helped by a wide strike zone from Marvin Hudson. He didn't need it, certainly. But I don't look at the end of this game and say, oh, that was just, you know, the umpire gave this game to him. No, it wasn't even close to that. He earned everything that he did in this game. Yeah, you know what's interesting, too, about DeGrom is when the Mets won the National League pennant in 2015, you could argue that DeGrom was the number three. Now, he was very good in 2015, but at that time, you know, Matt Harvey, the Dark Knights, you know, Gotham's ace, like he was kind of the ace of that staff, whether he deserved that title or not. He was like the alpha. And then most people kind of had Noah Syndergaard as a number two. And here we are years later. Harvey's career, of course, has completely fallen apart. You know, he's still in the majors, but he's bounced around a bunch in recent years, uh, largely due to injury. Syndergaard is coming off Tommy John. And, you know, Syndergaard's a good pitcher, but he's not DeGrom. Like, DeGrom has just blown past those two to become not just, obviously, the best pitcher on the Mets, but the best pitcher in the sport. Hey, guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. We've all had that dream, right? Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right. New users get up to $1,000 back inside credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back inside credit each day if your same-game parlay bet Falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. Madison Bumgarner of Arizona facing Atlanta and Drew Smiley Saturday night after Bumgarner had a bounce back outing against, yes, Washington. Zona and Mad Bum might be the way to go. There's a reason FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code chat to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code chat. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 100-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. 
By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. So you mentioned the Nats batters. Here were the two standouts in terms of the hits on Friday night. Andrew Stevenson back out there as a starting right fielder, number one batter. He does come through with a double. He got an extra base knock against DeGrom, a two-out double in the top of the third. Was actually down at one point in that count, one-two. So hip, hip, hooray, Andrew Stevenson with the hit there. And the only other hit for the Nats was the Starling Castro single, a two-out single in the top of the second. And that's it. That's all there is to say about the offense. It's so funny when you look at the box score, Mark. You know, normally you have a bunch of guys in a game who get four-plus at-bats. The Nats had exactly two guys who got four at-bats in the game. Stevenson and Josh Harrison, the number two batter. Nobody else had more than three at-bats in the game. That's the kind of night it was for that Nationals offense. And it's not even like there were a lot of long at-bats or somebody really battled him. You know, oh man, somebody's fouling off pitches left and right and making him work. No, it just, there was nothing. I mean, there was one at-bat with a runner in scoring position that was after the Stevenson double in the third inning. Josh Harrison, and he grounded out on the first pitch. So they literally saw one pitch with a runner in scoring position and only a couple others with even anybody on base. Now, Stevenson, for whatever reason, he's the one guy who has DeGrom figured out. I think he, at that time, he was five for nine on the double. He homered twice off him in the same game last year. One of them was uh, an inside the Parker. He has another double in his career. I don't know what he's doing that the others don't. 
I did think Castro was one of their best hopes because he is the guy that just puts the bat on the ball. And he's not so much worried about swinging as hard as he can. And thankfully, he got that hit in the second inning. Otherwise, we could have been talking about something really historic tonight if it kept uh, going deeper and deeper into the game. So credit to Castro for avoiding the no-hitter early on. But, I mean, everyone else was overmatched. Trey Turner, a good hitter, struck out twice, grounded out on an 0-2 pitch the other time. Josh Bell, and I mean, maybe we need to talk about this. I mean, he is so late on the fastball right now. He is so, and, you know, he would be late at 95-mile-an-hour fastball, and he had no chance at 100 in this game. And I do worry that that could really throw him out of whack because as he's trying to make some progress and trying to get his timing down, when you add that extra five miles an hour he had to face on Friday night, is he going to be able now to to solve the next guy he faces? I don't know. I, I almost thought this might have been a night to give him off just because it's such a bad matchup for him. And you hope it doesn't have any long-term effect on him as he's trying to find his swing because they desperately need him to start doing something. They do. I tell you what, though, if you rest him against DeGrom, that's pretty weak to me. You're saying, I don't trust you against DeGrom or I, I worry about you with DeGrom. I mean, he shouldn't be their cleanup batter if they think he's, he's you know, that weak-minded, for lack of a better phrase. But there's no doubt, man. I mean, Bell has not been good. He's got a 525 OPS now on the season coming out of this game. Kyle Schwarber, not much better at 548. You know, I was thinking about this today. There essentially were four wild cards going into the season, or at least a few weeks ago, when it came to the Nats lineup. Like, we know Soto and Turner are going to be good. We know more or less what Castro and Gomes are. But we were looking at, especially during spring training, right? Keyboom, Robles, Schwarber, and Bell. Like, what are you going to get out of those four in the 2021 season? And, you know, the hope is you get at least two of the four to hit, maybe even three of the four to hit. You're 0 for 4 so far. Like, Keyboom, I mean, forget it. He's totally buried at the alternate training site. And by the way, with Keyboom, we never talked about this. He ends up starting the season at the major league level due to the COVID-19 stuff. They couldn't wait to ship him back to Fredericksburg. He was one of the first guys they they sent back to the alternate training site once people started coming back. Like, they kept on, say, like a Luis Garcia. They couldn't wait to ship Carter Keyboom right back to the minors. But obviously, he didn't work out. Robles largely has not worked out. He's got the on base, but he's not hitting for power, not hitting for average. And Bell and Schwarber have been really, for the most part, nothing so far. I mean, Schwarber had that walk-off homer, but man, they're not getting anything out of these four guys. Friday night's not the night to go nuts on this because you were facing DeGrom, but that's got to change. Like the Bell-Schwarber thing, I'm with you. It is starting to get a little concerning here. Like it's not like they just came back from COVID-19. It's not like the season just started and they continue to largely look lost at the plate. It's time. You give them a little bit of a free pass because of the, the time they missed. And, you know, you understand that it's going to take a little while. But this was game 17. So they missed the first six. So they've played 11, 11 games now. That seems to be enough to start getting it. Now, like you said, it's hard to judge them on this particular game. Let's see how they look against Marcus Stroman on Saturday and against Taiwan Walker on Sunday, because it is time for them to start doing, especially with Soto out somebody's got to be able to step up here and provide something besides Trey Turner and, you know, Josh Harrison to an extent. But out of those four wild cards, like you said, Robles is probably the best of them so far. And that's not saying much because like you said, he's getting on base, but that's about it. He's not hitting. So uh, yes, that needs to change. They know it. And, you know, the, the hope is that they just needed time. Well, they're starting to have their time now. And uh, that's not going to be an excuse for much longer. No, no, it's not. So the national starting pitcher on Friday night was Eric Fetty. And, you know, you look at Fetty, and as we've discussed, he had that terrible first start to the season, but he'd been appreciably better since then. You know, we don't want to overstate what he'd been, but his previous outing, one run in five innings, nine strikeouts, 
in that uh, 6-2 win over Arizona last Saturday afternoon. I mean, you certainly would have taken something like that on Friday night. He wasn't bad, but, you know, the final line ends up being three runs in five innings. He gives you four scoreless innings to begin things. You love that. And then things come apart in that bottom of the fifth. I mean, it was weird. Bottom of the fifth, he gives up three of the four runs that he ends up allowing, gives up three of the four hits that he ends up allowing, issues one of the two walks that he ends up issuing, and issues the lone hit by pitch that he issued. So kind of like it all came down to that fifth inning. What did you make of what we saw from Fetty on Friday night? I was actually really encouraged. Those first four innings were legit. He looked really good. He's throwing all his pitches with movement, getting downward movement of the, the 12 outs that he recorded in the first four innings. Eight came on ground balls. That's who he is. That's what he needs. And it's not just because of his sinker. His cutter was really getting in on the hands of left-handed hitters and jamming them. His changeup was darting down and away from the lefties. I'm very encouraged by what we've seen from him. I think you have to understand that the bar for Eric Fetty is not where it is for Max Scherzer or Patrick Corbin or Steven Strasburg. This is a, someone who you're just hoping can be a, a competent number five starter for you, and that's only with Strasburg out. You know, he's the replacement right now. And so you'd, you'd love for him to at least do well enough to stick around and give you a chance to win, and that's what he's doing. Now, the fifth inning, yeah, it got out of hand. And the, the problem there really was that he hit J.D. Davis with a two-strike count, and then he walked Jeff McNeil. I think he also had two strikes on him. So you have a chance to put away these hitters, and he didn't quite do it. And then things fell apart, the DeGrom double. And then the, the Nimmo two-run single, that was a hard ground ball. I'm not saying Josh Bell should have made that play. It was kind of like perfectly placed. But I mean, Fetty, that's what you want to get. You're trying to get a ground ball and get out of the inning. And it just happened to be in the wrong spot. So I think there is still more room for growth. He admitted this, that the next step for him is to be able to get through a lineup the second and the third time, get through the fifth and the sixth inning. He hasn't really done that in his career. But what we saw for four innings, I thought was really encouraging. And if he can find a way to sustain that for just another inning or two, and all of a sudden he's a guy who count on to give you a chance to win pitching six quality innings, that's as much as you can ask for from Eric Fetty. And and that to me is a big step up. Yeah, certainly the expectations for him have been adjusted. He was a first round pick. They obviously didn't draft him to be someone who only goes five innings, but that's kind of where we're at in his career. You know, it's funny with that three-run fifth inning because he begins it by striking out maybe the Mets' best batter, Michael Conforto, on three pitches. You're like, whoa, like, what are we watching here? And then, you know, things fall apart, like you said, with a hit-by-pitch. And the walk by McNeil was big, too. I mean, you reference it, nine-pitch walk by McNeil. McNeil was down 0-2 at one point, and uh, Fetty ends up issuing the walk. But, like, with the four scoreless innings to begin things, bottom of the second, I mean, nice job by Fetty. Does get into some trouble, lead-off walk of Pete Alonso, then gives up a single to Conforto but then strikes out another very good hitter in J.G. Davis on seven pitches and then induces the inning-ending double play off the bat of Jeff McNeil. This is kind of a sneaky, good Mets lineup. I mean, if you follow the National League, you should probably know that, but Mets have a lot of good hitters. They don't necessarily get all the attention they should, but you know, it's not just like Conforto and Francisco Lindor. Like J.D. Davis can hit, Jeff McNeil can hit, Obviously, Pete Alonso is very good. I think Brandon Nemo is one of the more underrated batters in baseball. So for Fetty to do as he did those first four innings, that was nice to see. Obviously, you know, you wanted a little more than that, and uh, things came apart. And on this night, any any inning in which you give up a run or two was going to be too much. Yeah, it did kind of feel like maybe at one nothing, you still thought, you know, okay, they got a chance here. Once it was three, you kind of felt like that was the end of it, unless they somehow got the Grom's pitch count up and knocked him out and got to the Mets bullpen. But I agree with you on the Mets lineup. They should be a very good lineup and they are hitting for average. They are not driving in runs though. They are stranding runners all over the place. They've been awful with runners in scoring position. 
this was a good night for them. Maybe that'll get them going. I think in the long run, that is going to be a good lineup, but they are a little bit of that kind of like with the Nats, all or nothing. Like the stats may look good, except when you then you look up and see how many runs have they scored. And it's not consistently where it should be night in and night out. They get shut down a lot of nights. They just had a really rough series in uh, Chicago. We'll see. I mean, we're just starting to get a taste of what this NL East is going to be like all year. They went into the day. Nobody in the NL East was over 500. Everybody was within a game of each other. Everybody has some kind of flaw here early on. And other, everybody has something to like about them. I am fascinated to see how this all plays out. And we're going to get, you know, I think more of a taste of the true Mets the rest of the weekend when they're facing, you know, mortal pitchers finally. Yeah. And there is a thing with the Mets and the thing is known as same old Mets because the Mets every year have hype and almost every year let down. I mean, the history of the Mets is that there's all this preseason buildup and then the, the reality ends up not being close to that. We'll see if this season ends up being just that. But on paper anyway, I think the lineup does have a lot of talent. It's a very you know lengthy, deep lineup, that kind of a thing. Hey everyone, Tim Shovers here to tell you about CBD Sunday Scaries. You know, we're getting to the point where prioritizing mental health is becoming less stigmatized. People are finally starting to talk about strategies to stay centered and calm in their everyday life. That's why I'm really excited to tell you about Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. Sunday Scary CBD gummies help you live life scare-free by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill out and relax, which I imagine a lot of us need to do after watching Jacob DeGrom completely dominate Washington on Friday night. In fact, Sunday Scary CBD gummies and CBD oil have won glowing coverage in publications like Men's Health, Forbes, Allure, and Best Products. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. Enter code NATSCHAT, where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. My friend, the other night, he went, he bought some, he used the promo code, he saved over $7 on his order. Ready to chill out and get some much-needed peace of mind? Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off. Again, 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. Support for Nats Chat comes from Manscaped, which has the best men's grooming tools to get the job done. Fellas, listen up. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for whatever the world throws at it. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all of your male grooming needs. I just got mine in the mail the other day, and I'm excited to finally use this. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin-safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. You can also adjust settings to get a length that you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value add, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxers. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code WASHINGTON. Fetty gives you three runs in five innings. Nats then turn to the bullpen. It was a JV night with the bullpen. It was the B squad that was on display. Davey, like everyone watching this game, kind of could read the room when it came to what this night was going to end up being. So Davey goes Kyle Finnegan in the sixth, Austin Voth in the seventh, Kyle McGowan 
in the eighth. And those three guys combined will give up three runs in three innings, end up allowing a combined seven hits. Although some of this was bad defense to me, especially Kyle Finnegan's. He tosses a scoreless sixth inning, a couple of infield singles given up there. And I don't know, it's kind of weird, some of the things we saw there. So the Michael Conforto ha- on an 0-2 pitch sends like a slow roller toward Trey Turner. Ends up being a one-out infield single. Trey is playing deep in a shift, has a long way to go. Conforto may have been safe anyway, but Trey has a hard time transferring the ball from the glove to the hand. So that was kind of odd. And then later in the inning, two-out infield single by Jeff McNeil. Turner and Josh Harrison nearly end up colliding. Harrison is charging in on another slow roller, does make the successful change, gets the throw off while falling forward. And actually, Josh Bell makes a nice pick at first base to catch the one-hop throw, but McNeil was safe there. So kind of a weird deal there with the infield hits. Then Austin Voth had some problems in that seventh inning. And then McGowan gives up a two-out, two-run bomb to Nimmo in the bottom of the uh, eighth inning. What would you think about what we saw from the bullpen on Friday night? About that defense, it struck me as yet another case where the Nats play the shift and it kind of hurts them. If they're straight up, I think especially the McNeil ball, Harrison, the second baseman, just feels that and throws it instead of all of a sudden you have a shortstop trying to cut you off on the right side of the infield and there's confusion. This feels like this is happening more than it should. And we talked about before the season how last year when they were in the shift, it actually hurt them more than it helped them. Uh, I don't know why that is, but I think it's still something they need to kind of figure out. So that wasn't great. And, you know, I'm not going to find too much fault with Voth and McGowan, given the situation of the game. You're just trying to give them innings. You're trying to avoid using the, the big name guys on this night, and it, which a little bit was a blessing in disguise because Rainey, Hudson, and Hand had all pitched the last two games of the Cardinals series. The team had the day off Thursday. You wondered, okay, if they do get in a spot where they need to try to close this one out, are they all going to pitch again three out of four days? So the fact they got the night off, everyone's fresh now for Saturday. I'm not going to read too much into it. If it's a different pitcher and you're saying, boy, it's really important to keep that game at 3 nothing because you might have a shot against the Mets bullpen, but they weren't going to face the Mets bullpen tonight. It didn't really matter. No, it didn't. While we're talking defense, I have to reference something that actually made me laugh watching the game. Kyle Schwarber, for whom everything is an adventure in left field. We go to the bottom of the seventh inning. Brandon Nimmo laces a one-out double off the wall at the scene of Kyle Schwarber ducking in fear of the ball as it bounces off the wall. I just thought that said it all, man. Kyle Schwarber is a DH. He has no business playing the field. That the Nats signed him to be the everyday left fielder, to me, is still very interesting with how bad defensively the Nats were last year. But like, if ever you needed a snapshot of poor Kyle Schwarber trying to field his position, if ever you needed like an item of evidence in the case for the designated hitter, like this to me is, is like a video that you would show in a courtroom. This is what can happen where Kyle Schwarber is ducking, literally, as the ball bounces off the wall. I don't know. I got a kick out of that. I laughed at that one, too, again, because the game was uh, at that point, you know, in that situation. But, you know, let's give him the season. Let, let's see what he ends up being when it's all said and done. I'm not going to try to claim that he's a good defensive left fielder, but I think he's probably better than you're giving him credit for. I hope so. I hope so. It, it didn't look it that way uh, in that spot. On a scale of like, OK, who, who's the best left fielder? You know, let's say like peak Barry Bonds. When in his prime pre-steroids, and Adam Dunn would be like the bottom, as bad as it gets in left field. Obviously, he's closer to Dunn than Bonds, but I don't think he's on Dunn level at this point. What about late career Jason Worth? He was pretty bad out there. Uh, I'll say, yeah, maybe comparable to late career Jason Worth, who's still better than Adam Dunn. 
Uh, yeah, well, yeah, you, you and I might be better than Dunn out there. Yeah, I mean, the good news is that left field is not a an important defensive spot. Like, it's the least important of the three outfield spots, so you do have that. But here's the thing with Schwarber. If he's not hitting, and obviously he is what he is defensively, you got a problem. Like, in order for Kyle Schwarber to be worth it to you, he's got to hit, and he's got to hit well. That's part of the problem here right now. He's not hitting, and you know what you're getting from him defensively. You know, at least like with a Victor Robles type, you say, well, he just fielded his position well. You know, like there is that. <laughs> with Schwarber, it's kind of like, what are we doing here? He's not hitting Andy on field. So got to fix it, the batting part of this thing. Yeah, well, left field is a batting position, right? Left field and first base are batting positions. And right now, the two guys playing those positions are not batting, and they aren't the type of players who are going to bail you out with their glove. So like we said, that needs to change here relatively soon. It's going to have to happen here soon. But if it doesn't, I don't know what the alternative is other than, you know, Ryan Zimmerman playing first base every day. And I don't think that's going to happen. No. And uh, Davey doesn't seem antsy to play Zim right now. I wonder if Zim's maybe dealing with something that uh, we're not aware of here. So anyway, game two at the Mets Saturday afternoon. It's a 405 first pitch. It is Joe Ross versus Marcus Stroman. And, you know, here we go again with an at starter coming off a bad outing. The good news is that Joe Ross was really good over his first two starts. It's, you know, really bizarre how we've had this, right? Nats pitchers, it feels like either been great or bad. Ross kind of captures that. Excellent first two outings, really bad in the last outing. What's kind of the outlook here for Joe Ross? What are you looking for with him on Saturday? I think it's a really important start for him because if he struggles again, now the whole narrative has changed. And it's, uh, oh man, he he hasn't actually figured it out. And maybe he's not the pitcher that we thought he was going to be. The way the first two starts went were lights out. That was as good as you could ever expect from him. So maybe it's too much to ask for that again. But <laughs> we keep talking about this. We haven't had any like six innings, two runs kind of starts. <laughs> They've all been fantastic or awful. I guess Fetty tonight was maybe as close as we've had to that. Although, like I said, he was fantastic for four innings and it just fell apart in the fifth. Let's see just a decent quality start here. The good news is all these guys have now thrown enough and built their arms up enough that pitch count isn't really an issue. They can all get to, if not 100, pretty close to it. So let's see, can Ross give them six decent innings? Doesn't have to be perfect, but can he pitch well? Can he get the movement? you know, on his sinker and slider that he was getting in his first two starts, keep the ball down in the zone. Like you said, these are these Mets hitters are capable of hitting the ball in the air and hitting out of the park. So he's got to watch for that. But give him a chance. And then let's see if the lineup, you know, now that they're again, they're facing a, a mortal pitcher and Marcus Stroman, who's been fantastic, actually, to start the year after opting out last year. But let's see if they put together some, some better quality at bats and, and maybe score an early run and make life easier on Joe. Yeah, I was going to say, Stroman's got an ERA of 0.90 over his first three starts, but he's not anywhere near the strikeout pitcher that DeGrom is. So at least if you can put some balls in play, maybe you can do some damage that way. And like we've discussed too, get some extra base hits, hit some homers. You know, I mean, again, tonight's not the night to harp on this stuff, but man, the Nats, they're not hitting anything in the way the extra base hit right now. It's a real issue. So hopefully that gets going. All right, keep the feedback coming to us here on the Nats Chat Podcast. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com, including if you'd like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, email Tim Shovers, Podcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Keith Hernandez? <laughs> Keith Hernandez? <laughs> Hello, Newman. I hate Keith Hernandez. Hate him. I despise him. <laughs> why? I'll tell you why. No, let me tell it. No, you can't tell you it. You always tell it. All right, tell it. I like it. Just tell it.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.